I'm Jeff Cook. And I'm TJ Wilson. And this is Around the Circle. I'm walking slowly. It's a map of the human personality. It's a tool for navigating relationships. It creates language for what motivates us and helps us look at the way we look at everything else. Most importantly, the Enneagram is a mirror because sometimes you need help seeing yourself. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and with me is TJ Wilson, businessman, lover of theology, and Enneagram ninja. Hello. My man. Hey. We are on our second episode discussing the 20 or so questions that everyone asks about the Enneagram. Oh, fun. I love questions. I had one uh, that I'm very excited to ask you that I had not thought of, but that my wife reminded me, and it will be our closing question. And so, dear listener, you have to hang around for this (laughs) Kelly Cook-inspired question. Thanks. I'm excited. Uh, Shoot, you got anything before we jump back in to the questions? I got nothing, man. I'm ready for it. Very common experience, as you will know, when somebody finds out their type, is to realize how much they hate their type. Sure, yeah. That's actually one of the ways to know that's your type. Say <laughs> <laughs> it's the case that I really don't like my type. There's uh-huh. probably something I could do about that. I could, I could change something about myself. Yeah, uh, what do I could... do if I find that I hate my type? That's a great question. The answer is become a healthier person. <laughs> And that's it. It's the whole thing. <laughs> See, that sounds like I have to do exercise or eat only asparagus or stop I mean, drinking. yeah, the, the uh, spiritual and mental equivalents of those things. Just uh, doing, you know, it's, it's an interesting time to be alive because we're, we're in the middle of trying to raise the priority of mental health to a similar level as we've treated physical health for so long. Yeah. And so like they're like people are trying to get this all mental health things covered by insurance. And and like, this is, there's several different generations that like, that's the main thing that they talk about is mental health and, and, and like figuring out how to be a healthier person, not just by exercising and eating asparagus, but also by doing things that are good for your mind and good for your heart and, and, uh, help make you a better, more whole person. And that's, that's really the thing about like the Enneagram is not trying to shame you. The, the things that, that are bad about your type. It's it's not that they're bad about the type. It's that you recognize these things in yourself and you don't like them. Yeah. Or you've seen other people exhibit these behaviors and you don't like that behavior and you don't want to exhibit it yourself. And that's completely understandable. But the only real thing is to become a healthier person and get into touch with these unconscious things that you don't like about yourself and learn how to let them not take over anymore. I suppose another uh, angle on that is sometimes the things we don't like about ourselves end up actually being virtues or great goods and we just have always interpreted them differently. It can be the case. I don't like some of my propensities, but these propensities actually are worthwhile trying to think of an example of that but you know i could imagine eight who does not like the fact that they always are the one forced to step up and organize and and move people forward sure those are great good that they bring to the world right but it's also the case that like because there's there's two sides to everything it's also the case that like sometimes Sometimes that's not a good thing and and eights do that naturally because they think it needs to be done. And sometimes it just doesn't. And sometimes it doesn't need to be done by that person. True. And other times that is something that's very needed and and eights bring that to the table and that's something they can offer the world. And so I it it's really not about 
getting rid of the things that you don't like about yourself. It's coming to terms with these aspects of yourself and figuring out how to let them out when appropriate and, and not let them control you when it's not appropriate. Yeah. I think probably it is the case that our aversions are probably much more sensitive to our unhealthy side that we know is unhealthy. It's probably a great good that the Enneagram is exposing that in a worthwhile way. And it's not about your type. What it's really about is your unhealth or the places that you really want to grow. And you feel that anxiety there. Right. Nothing wrong with wanting to be a better person. Right. Come on. Hey, TJ. Yeah. Do wings really matter? Uh Yes and no. I mean, do your arms matter? (laughs) (laughs) I say Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, So, okay. Here's, here's my big thing about wings. You, we all have both wings. Uh, The wings are the two numbers on either side of you. I took a test that told me I was one with a nine wing. So you are clearly wrong. No, you are a one with a nine wing, but you're also a one with a two wing. Oh, okay. That's a, actually, that's a great way to put that. Yeah. So if, if you took a test that said you were a one with a four wing, they were lying. If you took a test that said that you were a one with a seven wing or a, or a six wing or any other, anything other than a nine or a two. You need to ask for your money back. Seriously, that test doesn't know what they're talking podcast. about. <laughs> <laughs> so your wings are the two numbers on either side of you. So for ones, it's a nine and a two. For twos, it's a one and a three, et cetera. Uh, And the way that the wings play a role in your life, it some of us lean into one wing more heavily than the other. So there's a theory out there that uh, you lean more on one wing for the first half of life, and then you sort of develop the other wing in the second half of life. Um, there's, I, I don't know that I necessarily believe that, but I, I think that we all have both wings. Like this is just the reality of the Enneagram. We all have both wings. Some of us lean more heavily into one than the other. Some of us don't. And the, the, the thing the wing does is add a little flavor. So, a nine, like I'm a nine and I have the eight and the one wing. And when I am leaning into my eight wing, I don't start to behave like an eight, but I add some eight quality into my nineness. So if you know nines that are a lot more comfortable with saying what they think and, and just sort of like letting things come out as they are, that exhibits some of the eight behavior nines that are more likely to not go along with what everyone else is doing. They're leaning a little bit more into their eight wing because they won't be controlled in that way. So, so you can pick up some of the behavior on one of your wings or the other. And that's pretty much it. It's, it's like, it's like a adding some flavor to the dish as it already is. The, the important thing to know about wings is that they offer you balance. There's something good on both sides of you and developing and sort of integrating the good characteristics of what those wings offer. That's the thing that you really want from your wings is to give you balance. A bird with only one wing can't fly. A plane with only one wing is just a bus. A really weird shaped bus. <laughs> <laughs> and and you you want to have both wings because both of your wings offer you something valuable. I feel like I'm a bit more aggressive with wings, and this might be my own experience of not liking some of the elements of my type. My type, I think, can become very focused on the job, the accomplishments, getting things done the right way, and totally run over human beings. Mm-hmm. My nine wing and my two wing insist that I care about other human beings in very different ways. The, right. my, for me as a one, my nine side, I especially see in my dealings with my family, 
the elevation of peacemaking, seeing other people's perspectives. I can engage those tools. Those aren't tools that are just always there, ready to go. I'm super natural at doing that, but it is there. Like I can right. almost go there like putting on a hat. Um, right. On the flip side, when I do, you know, I used to do church work, elevating others and finding real value in what I do for other people is a place that I can go. Um, anyone who knows me in my, my church work, I'm much more focused on systems, on the building that we have, on uh, on the text. I am, as I've said a handful of times, the reason I got into Enneagram was because I feel like I'm very low in my emotional intelligence. And so, but the but my two side, that's a hat I can put on mm-hmm. and I can find real value there. And, and, yeah. and engaging those, you know, that can be very helpful. Right. I agree with that. Yeah. TJ agrees that I'm not very emotionally intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like that goes without saying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, question three. Hit me. TJ, are all those fundamentalists on YouTube critiquing the Enneagram, are they really on to something? Because they've gotten like 150,000 views. Uh, (laughs) I'm trying to figure out a tactful way to engage this because the answer is mostly no, and I don't want to be mean. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so there are a lot of people, particularly in the Christian community, the evangelical and conservative Christian community, who have been very vocal about how bad they think the Enneagram is. There's a lot of criticism about it being having occult origins. Um, I mean, just look at the sign. Obviously, it comes from the <laughs> occult. Uh, that's sarcasm. The, uh, the, there, there's, a, there's a lot of opinions about it out there that I, I've read many, many things that, that people think that this is straight from the devil, and if you engage in the Enneagram, you're opening the door to demonic possession. And I will say that there is, I I think a lot of it is people who don't understand this thing being upset that other people like it because Mm -hmm. a, uh, for lots of reasons, like it, it, it takes away some of their power. They don't understand it. It's, um, it falls into the same unfortunate place as Dungeons and Dragons and Harry Potter and Ouija boards before it, where, this is something that I don't like that I could see connected to the occult. Therefore it's obviously evil. I don't think any of that's true. I will say that there is one particular criticism that I think if this was the only thing that anyone ever said about it, I think they would be right. There is a danger to trying to find your salvation within the Enneagram. It is really easy to latch on to something like this and to think that if only I can understand this system enough and become good enough at the Enneagram, then I will be, I will save my soul or whatever. I think that the Enneagram is a tool along with many other tools that offer us a path to understanding ourselves better and understanding how to become better, more healthy people. And I don't think that it in any way offers us any kind of path toward salvation. I think from a Christian perspective, I think if, if you are using this tool and this tool alone to better yourself, then, then you're only going to get so far. Mm-hmm. And if, you, if you're looking for something else that will help guide you on the path toward learning more about yourself along with other spiritual practices, I think this is a really good one. There's so much to say here for me and 
I suppose if it's the case that you're this or a person who would love, love, love to debate these sorts of things, I'm easy to find. Yeah. Um, but the Bible itself quotes pagan source material. Paul is co- in Titus is quoting philosophers from a different tradition. The entire book of Job is not Jewish and it's not part of the Judeo-Christian tradition. But, but we, when we find truth, we can name it as truth. All and truth elevate is, is truth. truth. Yeah. And there it is. Um, even worse, if we got rid of all that we know and enjoy from other cultures, we're not going to have a civilization anymore. Uh, your U.S. government didn't come from Protestants. It came from pagans in Greece. Right. And I hear people advocating for constitutional normality far more than I hear them advocating for Jesus Christ half the time in, right. in our culture. Um, math, science, these are not discovered by, by the Lutherans. The Enneagram is something, if it's the, if it's the case that we're spot on in saying this is huge, it's part of the fabric of humanity, man, it's going to have been there for a while, much earlier than, than, you know, the Bible and the rest. You know, I know that Huritz wants to really say, look at this in the writings of Homer and, right. and prior. And we mentioned this, I think, in our episode on mind, that a lot of the things that we talk about in terms of head, heart, and gut, you can see in Plato's Republic. And it just emerges, it emerges, it emerges. All the Enneagram is is systematizing things that human beings experience it routinely. Right. It's a great good. Um, it's got a funky symbol. Sorry about that. Uh, you know, <laughs> that there's so, there's so much to say on, on this front. A secondary thing is a lot of us are finding this very helpful in our families and in our relationships and how we process where we struggle. And it's actually a place that we see God better and ourselves better and our community better. And there's something that's just kind of, I don't want to use the word dickish, but (laughs) (laughs) there's something that is just too contrarian about coming in and saying there's this, there's this thing that a lot of people are getting into, but it's not my thing. And right. so I'm going to put a YouTube out that'll get 150,000 views that puts forth trash arguments. I mean, just mm-hmm. as a professional philosopher, your arguments are all trash. I've watched right. the top 20 videos on this. Your arguments are crap. And, they and show it would help if you understood the in, thing that you were arguing against. And that's just a basic starting place. Like, right. this isn't coming from folks who, you know, have really um, invested themselves in ways that are meaningful and coming with some insight, it's, you know what, I read the Wikipedia page, and let me tell you my 10 reasons for thinking that the Enneagram doesn't, you know, help you become a better human being. You don't know anything. Right. Okay. There is, there's a particular organization that seems to view themselves as the arbiters of truth, and I'm, I'm just going to put it out there. No human being is an arbiter of truth except for Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, the, yeah, I, and, and if you think for those people who are arguing against the Enneagram because of these issues that we've laid out that f- from these fundamentalist perspectives, I, 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 you, I doubt that you're listening to this podcast and for everyone else who is listening to this, it's okay to recognize that their arguments aren't good. Yeah. I suppose it's the case that here's, here's a plug for the Enneagram. A lot of us who got into it are so, um, I mean, emotionally stable. We don't have to get defensive about trash arguments online, you know, disparaging things that we love. Like, okay. That's fine. (laughs) You don't like it and you don't understand it. That's okay. It's not for you. And I'm, yeah, I'm not interested in arguing with most of those people. I am. I would love, <laughs> I would love somebody to say, please, somebody out there, man, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll name, I'll help, uh, TJ will name his next child after you. If, uh, if out there. <laughs> I'm just I thought we already as... committed my next child to being named something. It'll be Enneagram Charlie. <laughs> who's, <laughs> who's, 
I don't have anything to offer. But there you go. Anyway, which brings us to the Myers-Briggs. Okay. So we got a fourth question here. There's the Enneagram. There's the Myers-Briggs. There's all sorts of personality typing tests, I suppose. Is the Enneagram better than all these other personality typing systems? Yes. Oh, you're going to go ahead and go there. (laughs) That was a joke. Here's here's my hot take. I, I have always been really interested in personality typing. Um, not just typing, but but traits and and studying personality. It's it's always been very interesting to me. And I have done the tests. I was super into astrology for about an hour and a half. Oh, see, uh, now those YouTube people are coming after you. Which is fine. I said an hour and a half, <laughs> and then I stopped. The demons uh, got in in that hour and a half, TJ. <laughs> they got in long before that. <laughs> um, the... So there's there's Myers Briggs, there's the Big Five, there's the Strengths Finders, which is now Gallup Strengths or something like that. Um, there's there's a lot of different ways that we seek to interpret and define personality traits, and and to sort of categorize them. And I think that some of those things are really valuable in their place. I I don't like the Myers-Briggs. I, I, I think it's fine for business, but it's every single time I've taken the Myers-Briggs test, I have gotten a different result because it judges your behavior. And your behavior in any given situation might be different from another situation. Um, Big Five is focused on the, the five top qualities that are the... the the strengths in five specific areas. Uh, strength finders is in, invested in what are your top qualities, what are your lowest qualities. Um, these uh, these things have their purpose, but the thing I like the most, the thing I like about the Enneagram that sort of sets it apart for me from everything else is that it is not about how you behave. Because how you behave changes from location to location, from situation to situation, from time in your life to other time in your life. But your motivation for doing those things, the thing that is underneath all of those decisions, all of those behaviors, that is something that might just might be static, that might be stable throughout your life. And that is what the Enneagram is about. When I was in high school, I made decisions based on how to keep the peace around me. And my behavior looked a certain way. When I was in college, my behavior looked different because I was in a totally different environment. But my decisions were still made based on how to keep a harmonious space around me at all times. That is something that has been static throughout my life. My behavior has been different, and I am not any longer interested in trying to categorize my behavior because the Enneagram is showing me why I do those things. This is going to be fun. You're giving the one-ish answer. I'm going to give the nine-ish answer. My my answer is going to be something like it depends on what question you're asking, whether or not the Enneagram is better than system X, Y, and Z. Uh, If you are asking the question what motivates me and can I put a name to it? The Enneagram, it, I think, is the only thing really out there that right. is seeking to establish a systematic way to talk about that. If you're asking a different question, then sure. You know, I mean, person, the human personality is very complicated, robust, and there's all sorts of stuff that TJ and I are not experts in. You know, right. you look at some of those psychology manuals, man, they, they have to republish those every year to talk about just all the ways that the human psyche functions. Right. But for this, if you, if you just, I, I think that, you know, if you lose motive, you lose quite a bit of your personality. Right. And, uh, and so in terms of its efficacy, in terms of just how helpful it can be in communication with others, in self understanding, in wrestling through the things that are very difficult for each of us, to wrestle through, man, it's it's got some some power. 
Right. And it offers a, a roadmap, which is one that I have yes. not seen in any of the other typing systems. Is that, that these are ways that you can become more whole, become more healthy, that you can get in touch with the things that, that this system is showing you about yourself that you don't like and, and how to move forward with that. Yeah. Prescriptive. Yeah. Uh, on that front, question five, when do you become your type? And uh, on, I suppose building on that, is your type fluid? You kind of mentioned that in terms of Myers-Briggs, but mm -hmm. when do you become your type? Is your type fluid? So this is one that there is a lot of debate among uh, studiers of the Enneagram, and even Jeff and I don't exactly come down in the same place on this. Um, I personally believe that it is a nature plus nurture sort of situation, that, that we come into the world with a disposition in a direction and then circumstances sort of solidify our type for us when we're very, very young. Um, it's, it's very difficult to pinpoint. Like there, there isn't like a, like a light bulb moment. There isn't something that we can point to, to say, this is when this person became this type. Uh, and when I look back in my own history, I can see some of the things that sort of show me, how I might have become a nine, but also looking backwards might just be me finding evidence where it already existed. So I, I, think that, I think that there are some people who start life as their type, but I think that, that for a lot of us, the majority of us, we come into the world with a sort of leaning in a direction and then circumstances move us to a specific place. But also, it's really important to note that that our personality isn't done settling itself until later, like like later teens and 20s. So to say that that four-year-old over there is a three is a huge mistake. Not because they're not a three, but because now you're defining their personality for them. So we talked about this last time about not typing your kids. This is why, because their personality is still developing. And regardless of what their type may be, it might be solidified from birth, but, but their personality still is not, it has not congealed yet. And you don't want to force them into something that they might not be. And then regarding the fluidity question, no, the answer is no, except for trauma. Trauma breaks all the rules. And we still don't really understand. Like unaddressed trauma means that people can present as types that they are not. And, and there's all kinds of things about that that we could say. Um, but for non-trauma, type doesn't change. Type doesn't change, I think, is an empirical statement from those who really get into this. Yep. And everyone, everyone who studies the Enneagram believes that type does not change. Yeah. And that when coming to trauma victims, that there's, there's things that need to be addressed that are very, very complicated. Mm -hmm. that's, that's pretty much the answer. Yep. My answer on the flip side is not empirical at all. My, my coming to this question of whether or not we're born as a certain type is entirely based on a metaphysical foundational belief. Um, it's a theological belief. I think God chooses to actualize you. I think you are chosen to be born as you by the creator. And core to who you are is your motive. And what drives you, how you connect to the world, how you connect to God, how you connect to others, that's just part of who you are. And since God is choosing to create you, your type is part of who you are. And so this is not empirically verified. It's a foundational belief for me that makes sense of a range of questions uh, spanning from why is there pain to, you know, what's the meaning of life? And, and this one just gets kind of sucked into, into that that principle commitment. And that's what I got. Great. If you don't like that opinion, I have others. <laughs> hey, TJ. Yeah. 
How's the Enneagram useful if none of my friends and coworkers use it? Well, it's not for them anyway. <laughs> so, what's it for? It, it's for you. It's it's for personal, spiritual, and mental health. Man, and this was re-listening to our last set of uh, twenty or so questions everybody asked about the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. This is one of the things that really hit me was how much we make the Enneagram about other people or how right. much I make the Enneagram about other people. Yeah, it's really easy to do. And oftentimes, and this kind of circles back to the first question, I hate my type, so what should I do? When I make the Enneagram about other people, what's happening is I'm choosing not to really focus on what's what's mine to do today. What's what's the place I need to grow? Where the couple of steps that would really move me forward. Um, what I'm doing is thinking, how can I sell widgets? Or how can I, you know, perhaps manipulate the people in my company better? <laughs> or whatever. Or, whatever. or my relationships. How, how can I... How can I use this tool to change my relationships? Yeah. Which again, that that's that's not what it's for. It's and and we find value in in using that, but in large measure because like like Jeff and I find value in using the Enneagram to help our relationship become more healthy. It's a but secondary that is, value. Right. That is because we are invested in the Enneagram and our own personal growth with it, and we now have this common language which we can share to work on this other thing. Yep. But the truth is the Enneagram is first and foremost mainly and, and totally <laughs> for personal growth. Recently I've been thinking on this. Like, uh, Just some of the listeners will, will know that the the church that I had led for a, for a long time um, it, it kind of petered out during COVID, and this has been a really hard season for me relationally. One of the things that I could do is really push into the Enneagram and my relationships with all the people that I know, and I know their types, in my community and talk about why there is conflict, why there is um, just... Yeah, why why there's there's conflict and bad feelings and how do I navigate all that? It's also the case that much deeper still, I have a real problem with not being good enough at my job. Mm-hmm. And I need to wrestle with that. And I right. need to expose that. And I need to talk I need to engage that in a in a in a way that bring, you know, I need to find meaning and value in a place that isn't just what I accomplish. Right. And if I get, seriously, if I just knock that out, 95% of my conflicts with with people that I've been in community with for a long time probably go away because I'm just not as concerned about the problem anymore. Right. Because I'm a healthy person stepping into community. Right. And oftentimes my temptation is to jump real quickly into, well, that person is just a Enneagram type X, and that's why we're having conflict right and and that might be true but the most valuable thing that can be done to address that conflict is for you to become a healthier person yeah you can identify where you and the other person are on the map but where are you going is actually the question you need to ask Mm -hmm. are you actually advancing or are you just stagnant are you just standing there in this place of conflict well, that's right. no fun. Nobody wants to be there. Let's 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 get moving. Right. Um, and that's going to probably be pretty difficult, but the Enneagram gives you the tools for navigating that right. in worthy ways. Yep. I think I took the microphone for you on that one. <laughs> Do you have anything I'm else to say on the that one? Was great. <laughs> um on repressed centers. We talked about this in our first dive into the questions. One of the questions that came back was why do I feel all the time, think all the time, I'm constantly busy, and yet you say that's my repressed center? So the there we, isn't an easy answer to this. I need we need to set that one up actually. <laughs> so let me let me let me let me uh, just do, do a quick footnote. Threes, sevens, and eights are feeling repressed, and yet can often say I'm feeling all the time. 
right. ones, twos, and sixes are thinking repressed and might communicate, I'm thinking all the time. Fours, fives, and nines are action repressed and may believe that they are constantly busy. Why is it that being repressed and yet having that experience seem to go hand in hand? So the the easy answer is that the repression is about good, healthy, and productive use of that intelligence center. We need to, to unpack a little bit what intelligence center is to understand the reality of this. I think we've, we've done... We've done episodes on intelligence centers, right? I mean, we reference it all the time. Yeah. Well, we have done um, body and mind. I suppose uh, that's true. But it's so, not necessarily... The, yeah. Right. And and heart is coming. But, but thinking about these three spaces as as ways that we gather, process, and interpret information and, and decide what to do with that information, like that's, that's really what intelligence centers are. So, so those of us who are in the body intelligence center, that's eights, nines, and ones, we take in the world through our bodies. Like it, it's, it's not about being action, but because we take in the world through our bodies, we have an instinctive drive toward action. We often are, struggle with defining ourselves by the things that we do and, and, and the work that we accomplish because the, the work of our hands, the, the way that our bodies interact with the world this is this is part of how we understand ourselves in the world this is a, and and that's that's sort of the main one of the three four eights nines and ones now when we say that nines are repressed in their body it does sometimes mean that we are slow to take action it does sometimes mean that we don't do action oriented things like we don't do the work we need to do whatever but, but what it really means is that we are out of touch with how our body and our energy and our intuitions are supposed to be engaging the world. So moving on to a different type, let's say sevens who are in that feeling repressed group. It's not that they don't have feelings. It's not that they don't have a heart. But because they are repressed in that intelligent center they aren't totally in tune with their feelings they don't understand what their feelings are telling them a lot they sometimes ignore feelings so so we say about sevens that sevens are trying to avoid negative experiences and part of that is because they don't like having bad feelings and they, because they don't understand the value of negative and, and unpleasant feelings because they are repressed in that feeling center it's not that they don't feel things it's that they don't have a full engagement with that heart center and particularly that that they don't understand how their behavior affects other people. They don't understand other people's feelings as well. Whereas someone who isn't feeling repressed might actually be really good at engaging with other people's feelings. So these intelligent centers, it's about processing and engaging information in those different ways. The mind is about data and collection and rational thinking and logic and, and systems and order. The heart is about emotions and relationships, and the body is about energy, intuition, and, and action. And when we are repressed in that center, it really means that we aren't, we aren't as good as we should be at dealing with that center. I'm going around the circle in my head real quick. I love the idea of productive use, mm -hmm. the, the thing that we struggle with in our repressed center is productive use of feelings, productive use of thinking, and productive action. That seems right. to me to, to, to generally correspond with each of right. the types. Yep. And so we, we had said this last time quite a bit on our first podcast, uh, going down these, these questions 
that one of the best things you can do is to really address the place your type is repressed. And if you can do that, then that, that really can do quite a bit towards moving you into a healthier spot. And if, if you are struggling with how your type is repressed in that center, that's a good sign. That means that you don't understand it and you need to work on it. Yeah. And that's okay. That's an okay place to be. What does productive action look like for you on a right. daily basis? Right. What does productive feeling look like for you on a daily basis? What does productive thinking look like for you? Right. What are the activities you can engage, the processes that you can engage, the habits you can assimilate that really force you to work on that like you would building up a muscle? Right. TJ, this is a more serious question. Uh, this listener said they, they have a dog who's a two, and they have a cat that's a nine. They're routinely getting in fights. Mm, sure. And they're hoping that you would might have some advice. Mm -hmm. One for correctly typing your pets and dealing with the relationships that we have sure. Enneagram-wise with pets. Well, we'll start with the, the second part of that question. <laughs> Uh, dealing with the relationships, uh, they're they're it's a cat and a dog. They're not going to get along. That's <laughs> that's nothing to do with their I, types. It's not really anything to do with their do types. You do, in all honesty, do you have you typed your dog? <sighs> you have. I can see it on his face. Uh, yes, we have <laughs> typed our dog, and we believe that she's a six. But here's 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 my unpopular opinion. <laughs> Dogs are, cats are a different kind of thing, but dogs are more <laughs> likely to pick up a lot of the traits of their owner. So <laughs> our, our dog is actually exactly like my wife in many, many ways. And my wife is a six. And the, like, the, just so many things about our dog are exactly like how my wife behaves as a six. Now, if we didn't know anything about the Enneagram, we might never have drawn that correlation. But she behaves, our, our dog behaves just like my wife. <laughs> you got her when she was not a puppy, though, yeah? That's true. She was, she was already developed. So according to our theory, she yeah. actually <laughs> was a six long before she met my wife. Self-actualization just takes a little longer. move us to what I actually want to <laughs> say about this. You're, t you're, you're, don't type your pets. <laughs> just, it, your pet cannot decide their type for themselves. And the number one rule about typing other beings is don't. <laughs> because you're putting a personality onto... So if if you're if you have a dog that can talk and can understand the enneagram and decide for itself what type it is, sure. Let engage the enneagram and your pet. That's totally <laughs> fine. But unless you're that person, it's just just have pets, man. <laughs> just it's judging behavior. Yeah. I suppose and also cats don't You'll never be able to type a cat. Because, uh, so I treat my dog similarly to uh, fictional characters. And since fictional characters can't communicate uh, their Enneagram type, I just go ahead and jump in and say, of course my dog's a two. Sure. <laughs> She's going to make you... Actually, she might... No, I think about this. I might be getting this wrong. I need to rethink this. My, my dog's <laughs> Enneagram type. She might be a three. This would go alongside your theory, though. That's true. That's yeah. I honestly, I, I think it's totally fine so long as you're not serious. My, so I am convinced this, this is going to come out total left field, but, but I think that not only do animals have souls, I think like trees have souls that, and there is something about the soul that has the nub foundation of motive. Motive is fairly complicated, but uh, I don't know if worms have motives or right. if, or if they're just not, as their motive isn't complex yeah. enough. Do maple trees have motive? Uh, yeah, right. it'd be a lack of complexity. Right. Um, I think 
I think some higher functioning animals have motive. There's a way my dog gets what she wants a certain way that is pretty consistent and right. you could put language to it. <laughs> right. Um, anyway. Yeah. The, the nicest thing that I could say about this is that in the same way that you shouldn't type other people, you shouldn't type your pet. Right. <laughs> That's okay. uh, speaking of typing people, let's talk about people who can't type themselves. Sure. We see this frequently. What yeah. advice do you give to people who can't type themselves? Um, if you are really, really concerned or interested in figuring out the answer to that question, then I would suggest you find someone who knows what they're talking about and, and just engage with them and, and spend some real time just asking and answering questions and explore. I, I think finding the harder books. So like the road back to you is a great starting point and it does not get into a lot of really in-depth stuff. Mm. I would never point a beginner to BS, Beatrice Chestnut's 27 paths because it's really, really complicated. Mm. Um, and like she even gets into a lot of the subtypes and I wouldn't point a, a beginner to that book. But if you're really struggling with figuring out your type, that might be the route that you want to go down is, is to dive a little bit deeper than the normal surface level stuff. Yeah. It also really helps to find a guide, to find someone who does know what they're talking about to help you find your place in this. Yeah. Now, if you aren't really, really interested in finding the answer to this question, that's okay. Don't. Just move on. It's okay. This is a tool, one among many, and it doesn't work for everyone, and that's okay. My advice... I've just started thinking this recently because I think it works, but it would it's would be twofold. It's one, you kind of have to get a total commitment to honesty. And second, you got to say, here is the darkest side of each of the types. Mm. Do you connect with fears, fixations, sins of these types? So when we went, we started our podcast there because apparently we... We're masochists or something, but <laughs> I, I go back to our fear, fixation, and sins podcast frequently thinking, man, that, you know, if, if you're kind of starting out, listen to these and tell me what you hear. If you hear yeah. yourself hear this, we're going to talk about the places you really struggle and you will feel it if we, if we mention the language that really describes how you struggle. That's probably a good indicator. Kind of goes back to the I hate my type, what should I do side of things. Right. But right. the Enneagram can have that effect, awful elements of ourselves in right. clean there's, language. There's there's even a whole branch of teaching that, that leans into that as like this is the way to discover your type, is to find the one that you hate the most. Yeah. The one that makes you feel the worst. And that's probably the one that you are. That's fortunate or unfortunate, but it is the case that in terms of just finding type, if that's the target, that can be a helpful way to go. Right. On the flip side, what do each of the types need to hear in terms of what they bring to the world and something they can anchor their heart into in terms of, I don't like my type, so why would I ever celebrate it? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's, um, there is something valuable about each type. Each type brings something good and important that the rest of us need. And uh, finding that uh, the, the virtue is a good thing to, to latch on to. Uh, really, like, leaning into whatever the high side is. So uh, a lot of the descriptions that are out there only talk about the good stuff. A lot of the descriptions that are out there mainly talk about the bad stuff. But you can find sort of a spectrum of this is what a healthy version of this type looks like. This is what an unhealthy version of this type looks mm -hmm. like. And, and focusing on the healthy aspects, like the good things that each type exhibits, that is something that the rest of us will need at some point or another. Yep. And that is something good that 
each type brings to the table. There are negative parts as well, and that's like it's easy to focus on that, but there is some good that comes out of each type naturally, and 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 those things should be celebrated when they're healthy and and being presented. When TJ and I teach this for uh, in classrooms, we commonly end here. And my favorite illustration for my heart is to use a sports ball analogy. There was a football player in Denver, Colorado, uh, the last few years who dominated the NFL. He was probably the slowest player. He was one of the oldest players, easily injured, and he just dominated. His name's Peyton Manning, and he did just one thing really well. He could read defenses, and he could throw a ball accurately. That's pretty much all. That's what he did better than anyone in the world. And there are men half his age who are twice as fast, who could bench press five times as much, who are just made to look like buffoons when he went up against them. It's because he did this one thing real well. I like TJ's advice. Find the high side of your motive. The description of the high side of your motive at its best is probably where you thrive in a way that others just don't thrive. And that's what you bring to the world. Um, if, we call it a superpower. Yeah. If everybody has the same superpower, and we know this from The Incredibles, when everybody's super, nobody is. Right. But one of the great things that we bring to the table is the kaleidoscopic, part of the kaleidoscopic beauty of, of God's personality to others. And each of the types really highlights something fantastic there. The shalom loving side of the nines or the perfecting genius of the ones or the helpful supportive side of the twos or the threes that can advance the glory not only of themselves but others or the artistic, you know, really beauty-seeking skills of the four and the observant data collecting, here's what it's all about side of fives. Um, the loyalty and here's what may go wrong. Let's be careful because we're all in this together side of the sixes. The sevens who are calling us into that new adventure. The eights who are going to support the just cause and, and offer their strength. You do this better than anybody. Push into it in ways that are healthy, not obsessive, because there's obviously a low side to being obsessed with shalom, perfection, getting love, glory, the the beauties, the data, et cetera, et cetera. There is a low side there. Find the high right. side. Right. Um, we hit 20. I thought there were 20 or so. Maybe this is just an invitation for more questions to come in okay. uh, as, the, as they roll. But you can find us on the Instagram <laughs> and on the Twitter if you want to pitch us some questions. We actually are in one of those spots where we're kind of, oh, you know what? I have a question after this. But if you want to hit us with some questions, I'm real good about responding on those forums. Um, but we would love to take, we would love to hear where you itch so that we can incorporate it into what we do. I got a final question for you. Let's do it. I was told by a publicist here recently that the Enneagram just isn't popular anymore. Mm. <laughs> I have so many things to say about that. But what would you say to someone who's like, you know what, it's just kind of on the way out. And so uh, what do you think about that? My answer is, Good. <laughs> yeah. And and say why. So uh, the Enneagram has been around for a very long time. By some calculations, it's been around for thousands of years. Uh, like you said earlier, there's reason to believe that Homer was writing about it. But the first real, like, written material about the Enneagram was in the 70s. And there has been momentum building for the last 50 years. It's been 50, right? Because in my brain, the 70s was like 30 years ago. But that's not right. Uh, there's been momentum building for years. And, and over the last 10 or 15 years in particular, it sort of hit this like threshold of momentum where it just like it became huge everyone is talking about the enneagram it's such a big deal but so many of those people are doing it wrong it became really really trendy because it was popular not because people are looking to use it for the tool that it is supposed to be mm. and when 
all of those people who don't actually care about their own growth go away, then it's easier for the rest of us to be taken seriously. Mm. One of the biggest criticisms that can be leveled against the Enneagram is that people use it inappropriately. I, I read one of those fundamentalist takedowns a, a few months ago uh, that someone was criticizing it because other people were finding out their type and then deciding that because of their type, they could make bad decisions now. When people are using the Enneagram as an excuse for bad behavior, that's a problem. When those people are not interested in the Enneagram anymore, it's actually better for those of us who take it seriously. Mm. Because then we don't have to explain why that person was doing it wrong. We can actually just get to the good of what it's about. So sort of selfishly, but also I think for the good of the Enneagram as a whole and the people who find value in it, it's easier for us to be taken seriously when we don't have to spend our time defending it against people who aren't taking it seriously. And so I, I think it's good that it's not popular anymore. I think it's good that we won't be talking about it at parties like a parlor trick. I think it's good that people won't be running around saying, oh, you're a three, you're a two. I know some basic things about you, and I think you're a six. That's, that's not healthy. It's not a valuable use of our time as a species. And I, I love the Enneagram, and I, I hope that more and more people will see the value of it as a tool and, and, and let the good things that can come out of it come from their own study and their own work. And I think that all of the other stuff is chaff that can be blown away. This is, again, going to be one of these one verse nine kind of answers. I'm going to push into the nine answer where I'm like, I, I think that the party discussion is is just fine, but let's just name it as secondary, tertiary in terms of what the Enneagram really is. Yeah. It's kind of like having background jazz playing at a party. Like, And somebody says, hey, are you listening to jazz music? It's like, well... Yeah, we are. There's a difference between that and then actually going to a club and having a martini and it's 1 a.m. and you're watching Miles Davis play down. Sure. Those are two different experiences of jazz music. Right. And when you get serious about the Enneagram, what the Enneagram is is a theory about human motive. That's what it is. It is the best one out there. To my knowledge, might be the only one really that has a solid systematic face. Here's how theory works. You don't just discard theory and just say, well, this is dumb. You have to replace it with something. And there's just nothing that's replaced it. So if human motive doesn't matter anymore, then that's fine. I, but that's not going to happen. Human motive is everything that we see in our culture. Right. So go ahead and say that it's not popular. Uh, what you're really saying is perhaps we're not using it anymore to sell widgets or we're not mm -hmm. using it yep. in, in party techniques anymore. But here's yep. the thing. You are motivated and I'm motivated. And if you can't put language to that, then you're ignorant. That's actually where you are left. You lack knowledge about yourself and you can't effectively analyze why you're doing what you're doing. And that is, you know, and we can look at all sorts of people who make horrible decisions because they can't, they're not self-actualized. They, they haven't taken the time to understand themselves. Know thyself is the principal value of Socrates in the beginning of Western culture. Right. It's, it's foundational to, to getting anywhere. It's also where John Calvin starts at the institutes. It's a, I mean, actually, I mean, we could go through the canon and just say, having understanding about who you are, you don't get anywhere without that. You're an animal. You're an animal otherwise. Right. And even though e animals clearly have Enneagram types, we reference our, our discussion <laughs> about dogs. The other thing that hit me is you and I have spent, and this may be a challenge for me, you and I have spent a lot of time uh, describing the types in our, in our podcast, and we do get to how do you use the Enneagram, but that might be a challenge for me to say, maybe that's the, the place we need to go next is you know, really digging into the map, mm. you know, 
threes, here's here's the thing that you sh- you need to be doing. Fours, here's the thing you need to be doing. Right. Again, on superpower side of things, you and I are are really well equipped to push into that space. Right. All right. We have a calling. <laughs> <laughs> The Lord Let's has spoken. We're, we're, <laughs> we're changing it. Every, I'm ripping up our schedule. We're not talking about Muppets next week. <laughs> Good. I am not ready for that <laughs> I'm yet. Just not prepared. <laughs> All right. That's what I got. Cool. You got any last words? I got nothing. Friends, it would mean the world to us if you pause, take two seconds, write us a brief review, give us some stars on your podcasting platform of choice. Uh, you can find all the links to all of our stuff at aroundthecircle.org. And as we've said before, shout-outs on the Twitter and Instagram are always appreciated. But the best thing you can do is share this with somebody that you love, preferably somebody who has recently created YouTube videos knocking the Enneagrams so that they can hear our quick takedown, which wasn't very, very effective. I think we just emoted. <laughs> <laughs> Music here is by The Collection at Greensboro, North Carolina, and by Tim Coons from Greeley, Colorado. And uh, my man, that's what I got. Cool. I like it. He's TJ Wilson. He's officially awesome. I'm Jeff Cook. And who you aren't isn't interesting. Be who you are, and don't type your cat. (laughs) (laughs) 